Hello everyone, welcome to Spoiler Alert, a talk radio show for movie and television lovers. We have finally reached the finale of our Chronological Salute series, and we'll, we'll be ending with the films of the 1920s, but I shall not do it alone. Today I'm joined by the boy, Jeremy Legui, and also by the girl, Sonia Stanger. Hi guys. Well, hello. Um, I'm waving, but you can't hear because it's silent. <laughs> no, I can't hear. It's hard to hear a wave anyway, honestly. Yeah, but... that, I meant to. <laughs> and, and, and now, in honor of the films of the 1920s, 50 minutes of silence. <laughs> well, well, no, some real, viewers can't some real see exciting that, piano. Yes, viewers can't see that Sonia's doing a vigorous uh, soft shoe. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot of faces being pulled. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, it's not a visual medium. Sadly. <laughs> Sadly. <laughs> Um, you guys, what did you watch this week? There was, you know, less choices than are in previous weeks. Um, yeah. Also less uh, fun I, choices, I would say as well. <laughs> I'm inclined to agree on that one, Sean. <laughs> um, I did, I did feel that I had to dig deep mm. to go, to go to some, 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 dark some things that I, not some dark places, but to like first year film school. First and second, like, you know, some really, like, early stuff that you learned in, like, those... I'm going to call it a film history class. That's not what they called it. Um, But uh, the thing that did happen is that I think a lot of us watched the same stuff Mm. because of the nature of where we're at in time. And uh, I, I... there's something weird that goes on once you get past a certain point. Like, I'm going to say, like, maybe 1935. And that's either... That you can find one of these movies in one of three ways. It's mm. either free online on Wikipedia, someone has posted it on um, YouTube, or it's just impossible to find. Yeah, or it's on <laughs> Canopy. Are... That's 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 true oh, as well. Okay, but, Canopy. Um, yeah, Canopy yeah. came through for me this week. But uh, the infrastructure that we are used to when looking things up starts oh. to sort of <laughs> yes. falter. It, it falls away a little bit it here. Really does. Yeah. Um. Not that it. It doesn't exist. It's just not as robust as we are used to, I think, yeah. where we're sort of clicking around and everything. But, Sean, to answer your question, um, I watched a little movie called Met- Met- Metropolis, which I keep seeing as Metropolis. I don't know why. <laughs> That's hmm? funny. With the Metropolis. It's not even, there's not even a break there. Um, uh, uh, Metropolis is, of course, uh, Fritz Lang's maybe, like, probably his, maybe his best movie. I don't know. Um, it it always gets me because I think Sonya will agree with me. I could be wrong. It is these really cool ideas with cool visuals and cool mm. parts with just huge gaps of <laughs> things that don't need to take as long to happen to happen. Like, how long does it take for them to put out that fire? Oh, forever. Like, like Real you know, time. and I get that yeah, maybe it was just an actual fire that they just folded <laughs> into the plot. Um but uh it it tells i don't the futuristic story of a a city that uh is having trouble between its its head and its hands mm. and um you know it's sort of the the struggles of the the rich elite versus the lowly worker who has to slave and die to keep this city running um with these really like insane and extremely on point sort of like city scenes that just make it work it just totally sells it. Plus a primo robot, mm. a top of a of, of beautiful depiction of a, a false person. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, it's, it just, it just goes through like these really awesome parts that I remember and cherish. And then it's like 15 minutes to the next one. <laughs> yeah. And when you say you remember and cherish, did you watch this in film school? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's I've written papers on all the things we're going to talk about today. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I had to go all the way in because you might not yeah, know like, this about me, but I also went took film one hundred. But I know that. But I did not. I did not. I don't know this person. I don't know this girl. I uh, oh. mine was very Odessa Step sequence, which I watched again today from Battleship Poten- to Potemkin. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Have not watched the, the the entire film because you know that's a oh. lot. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah. So it was my first time seeing Metropolis, mm-hmm. um, and I was very struck visually. Like to imagine 
the logistics and the budget that had to go into these scenes of like hundreds of people moving in synchronization um, and these just like massive machines. Um, yeah, it it's interesting because so quite early on in the film, so basically it's about like, yeah, as Jer said, this, you know, high powered futuristic city and then the um, the underground worker city. Um, mm-hmm. that is being exploited to basically keep that city for the wealthy running. Um, so obviously poignant, relevant to our times. Um, and then the son of basically the man in charge, Freighter, um, mm-hmm. happens to uh, go down and witness the exploitation of the the workers and is horrified and wants to change things. But so early on in the film, there's the scene where there are these all these workers kind of frantically scurrying around trying to keep these machines working. And I was just like, oh, this is an Amazon factory. Like, yeah. this is... Frito like, Lay. We are still... Right, Frito Lay. Exactly. I was totally thinking mm-hmm. about Frito Lay. Um, like, like, we are still having these same conversations about exploitation. And I was like, wow, I'm ready to strap in and go on, like, a political journey. And then that's not really what the film delivers. I would say that it is quite, um, actually, you know what? I'm not going to tell you how like sort of muddy, muddied and um, overly sentimental the plot is. I'm going to let H.G. Wells do it, the iconic Ooh. science fiction writer um, and lifelong socialist, <laughs> uh, who was not impressed by the film's sort of political ideas. It gives in one edging concentration almost every possible foolishness, cliche, platitude, and muddlement about mechanical progress and progress in general, served up with a sauce of sentimentality that is all its own. Ooh, a sauce. So a burn. That's a sick burn. He also served up a sick sauce. (laughs) Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, Because basically the... the, So sort of like the theme of the whole movie is... um, the mediator between the head and the hands must be the heart, which on its face is like, yes, I agree. I do think that, you know, progress should be fully sort of ensconced in considerations for other human beings. But the problem is that the way the movie does that is that Freider becomes this mediator, becomes mm-hmm. this like figurehead who's going to bridge the working class and the ultra rich and it's just like, well, that's that's not the answer. One guy who now is the figurehead is actually sort of the exact opposite of what we want to happen. And it's very interesting in the context of the fact that the novel that this is based on and the film um, were written by um, Thelma von Harbo, who was um, Fritz Lang's wife, who, spoiler alert, did later become a member of the Nazi party. and she you know claimed that it was you know i was following orders i was doing it so that i could actually help people but it's something that has been speculated upon over the years so it sort of is i think yeah i guess i was just all of that to say i was hoping for more in terms of its political messaging and sort of the ideas that undercut the film um but all of that being said like it did make me think a lot. It it was visually stunning. Like, there's a lot to praise for sure. And so, 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 so many things in film, especially science fiction, you can directly trace and be like, oh, that's where that oh. comes from. Oh, like, sir. Yeah. 100%. The robot is literally yeah. C3PO. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, well, yes and no. Yeah, yes and no. But, like, you know, she, C3PO down here. is based on Con- that robot. Jeremy can't hear you slander Star Wars this way. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, C-3PO is based off a different robot, which is based off this robot. Okay, that's there, what happened. there you yeah. go. But that's, yeah. Um, I, I think you're right. I think ultimately it's about unions and unionization. Like, I think that's really what the, the whole sort of but thing is. It's like not, though, because the workers are depicted as these, like, lawless, mindless, chaotic yeah, yeah. people who need one person to lead them they don't need to be given collective power and organization because they're not capable of that right but the i think i think what happens i could be wrong Mm. this is just my sort of take on it is that like science fiction writing had gotten way further than this 
by the 1920s mm. and science fiction film hadn't mm. i i like and uh i i do think that there is this sort of like very expressionist like element to a lot of what we're going to talk about today not only just the expressionist things um but um you know it has to be this like huge gesture by an individual mm. because of movies at the time and i think you're right because it does miss so many of these like really important things that would actually occur in this conflict and make it meaningful um but i think that it just shows how messed up thinking about these things were at that time like mm. i like you know like it was this narrative of like we have to bring them up right like there's yeah. you know like the, it's just not a you know, the fact that one of them could rise up or whatever is totally out of the question. Um, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's just like a strange, like, sort of Star Wars-esque story about, like, the one person with the special whatever to mm. help people, right? Like, it just happens again and again. And uh, here, you know. It's it's just it's just Star Wars, but on land, not not actually. But you know, <laughs> and like I mean. with weird like silent movie broad gestures and yeah. allusions to the Bible and things that I'm like, okay, I don't think I'm understanding all the references here. <laughs> <laughs> but if the first mad scientist, <laughs> I feel probably not the first, but like an iconic early one for sure. You might mm, be forgetting absolutely. about Dr. Caligari. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, for yeah. sure. And his cabinet. And his, <laughs> he's got a quite the cabinet. Um, he does. Ooh. I watched this week a film I have never seen before called The Kid from 1921, mm. which is literally 100 years ago, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, ooh. And anyway, it stars Charlie Chaplin. He plays his character, The Tramp. Um, and it is about a woman. Okay, so a woman gets pregnant by this man. He decide he like loses interest in her, so then she's like, "Oh no!" And she has to, she has this baby that she can't take care of. She puts it in a rich-looking car, so she'll end it with a note because she hopes he'll be taken care of. The car is stolen, and then the baby winds up in the tramp's care, and then so the tramp just like raises him as his own little tramp son, and they commit Cute. they commit little cute crimes, but. Uh, they do commit the crimes but they're very they're very sweet crimes and they have a great little relationship and then she in the meantime has become very famous and now she's like taking she wants to look see if she can find her baby again and a lot happens um but yeah i had never seen it before and it is so good there's basically no subtitles in it there's like a few Mm. cards but it's all done just by um their incredible acting uh, Jackie Coogan is like a five-year-old, but looks like seemingly one and a half feet tall. He's very small, <laughs> but he is so good. He's like such a great little actor. Um, obviously, Charlie Chaplin is like, I guess I didn't expect as much like pathos as I mm. was getting. Mm. I was like, oh, I knew it was going to be funny, but I did not expect to be so much emotion. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of, there's like a weird sequence near the end where they all turn into like, he goes to sleep, but then all of the townspeople are angels. And I honestly thought it was a death scene. Like I thought everyone had died. <laughs> I, and then it was like, Oh, it was all a dream. And then they're reunited in the final with 26 seconds to spare. They're reunited at the end of the film and it ties up very neatly. Perfect. Um, I mean, yeah. that's how you wanted to go right at the end. Have you guys seen it before? I haven't actually. I meant to watch something of his this week, and then I just didn't get around to it. Um, I I have I have sir I have definitely seen this at some point because this is his first. Uh, this is the first Tramp film I think that he directed. Maybe I, I can't was going to say I don't the... think it's his first appearance of the Tramp. Yeah, but yeah, but it's maybe the first one he like directed. I think, yeah, and the... also I read it's... today that. His infant son died like 10 days before filming. So maybe that's where a lot of the mm-hmm. pathos is coming from. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Very sad. Um, but but I think and in terms of sort of, I think we'll talk about a few people like and all the stuff they did because it, it does sort of branch over. But I think the tramp just was like kind of the perfect guy for the silent mm. films. Like by design, of course, right? Like he, they knew what they were doing when they developed it and made him. And uh 
I, it, it always gets me because we were kind of talking about time before the show. And I never, like in Buster Keaton and in um, Chaplin, I never feel the, the slowness that I do with other things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it is like this vaudeville mm. attitude, right? Like it is, it is that sort of like, keep, keep it, you know, yeah, keep they, it going. They keep, keep going. things pumping. And I appreciate that. Yeah. He is yeah. Like, and he is such a good like clown. Like there's a scene yeah. where he gets in a fight with like the town bully and he is like dragging him by his hair, like all over the place. And it's like, and it's, it looks so good. Um, And he's just obviously, yeah, he does so much good work in this. There's like social services comes to visit and he beats up social services and it's all very madcap (laughs) and ridiculous. Yeah. Nice. Um, Oh, and also there's something that I think should be a meme, of course, but there's a shot of, when the woman has this baby uh, that she can't take care of, there's like a shot of a book just titled The Past. And then she it flips open to a chapter called Regrets. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I feel like that could be its own. It could be it's stuck into anything. In, Make it in so my shame. book, it would just be such a long chapter. Yeah. <laughs> so long. Very, very thick chapter. Thick book, yeah. Um. <laughs> And what else do you guys watch this week? Well, speaking of vaudeville-style physical comedy, um, I watched a Buster Keaton movie for the first time. Um, I know it's wild that I literally never have. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like it's one of those things that, like, comedy nerds will always talk about. But I watched 1926's The General, um, not really knowing what it was about, and that is key because... (laughs) What it's about is, uh, in the Civil War in Georgia, uh, Buster Keaton's character Johnny Gray goes to enlist for the Confederate Army. So, Mm -hmm. you know. As one does. The side you want to cheer for, for sure. Um, Mm -hmm. And they won't take him because he is a train conductor uh, for the railway. And they say, you're too valuable for the South. In your current role, we don't want you in the Army. But his, uh, the lady he wants to be with, Annabelle, whose father and brother are, like, intense patriots, says that she uh, will not have him unless he enlists. So basically, a series of many hijinks ensue uh, in which he, like, tries to, (laughs) he tries to sneak into the army. um, And then, uh, actually, I forget how it happens exactly. He discovers a union plot to um, steal a train or, I don't know, somehow they get one of the Confederates' trains Mm -hmm. um, with Annabelle on it, which they don't know. And then uh, there's a train chase and then he overhears a plot of theirs to destroy some bridges and basically a a huge, um, (laughs) I don't know, military terms. (laughs) A tactic. I don't know what. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They have a plan. it's okay. So, so two things. So one, it is amazing. Um, and the physical comedy is amazing. And like probably the majority of the movie is a train chase, which is just like so wild. I was going to ask, like, how, how is this do, safe? How do you do a train chase? Aren't they well, all very dangerous <laughs> on the same thing? On the no, same two different trains. Yeah, it's it's finish your thoughts on you, and then we'll talk about well, it. Yeah, it's not. We'll talk about the train chase first because. Um, two trains, like so many gags of like this, the person like moved it to the other track so that then the person Mm. chasing them like goes the other way. They're like throwing things at each other. Literally, there's a cannon at one point. Um, it's outrageous, honestly. And the physical comedy is so on point. Like it's quite exciting. Maybe, well, maybe Jared, do you have anything you want to add on that side of things? And then I'll go into my Uh, uh, deeper commentary. uh well, I think the like I think I've always thought the physical comedy was incredible purely because it was incredibly dangerous. Yeah. Like like learning about how they did some of these things. They had a few tricks and everything, but like at any point he could slip and get hit by a real train. Like right. that's a thing that could happen, which is crazy. Um this also has the most expensive shot in history because to what? do the thing where they down they they in at one point a bridge blows up with a train on it right 
And in the silent era, when you don't know how to do special effects, you get a train and you blow it up. Right. And you film it. Yeah. So, like, like everything, you're like, oh, man, this looks really real. And then you kind of find out that a lot of it was just done for real. And it kind of messes with your head because none of this is okay. Yeah. Like, none of it. It is so dangerous. All, like... There's the one scene, it's very simple, where he's, is it logs or railway ties that are, like, it's famous, that he's, like, throwing off of the, and then the train bumps into him, and he, like, rides back up on the train. Yeah. Like, if he didn't lean back enough, like, he would go under that train. Yeah. Like, it's moving slow, yes. Yeah, like, a moving a train, train picks him up on the front and yeah. carries him. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, and, anyway, like, it's, it, it is truly incredible, it is choreography the likes of which will never be seen again because it was just so dangerous it was so expensive for what they did um i'm so happy we have it because i think it's so great but i'm equal like equal parts shocked at how skilled they are and how stupid it must have been to make this decision anyway that's all (laughs) there's probably like some dark histories of just like um a couple film stars just <laughs> crushed under a train and they were like let's just scrap this I, uh probably this film. probably so the other thing so so as soon as i was like wait sorry the witch army are we mm-hmm. are the heroes of this film um the confederate army uh for those who aren't you know up to speed on their american history the side that was fighting to keep enslaving people um mm-hmm. And the whole time I was kind of like feeling this uneasy feeling because I was like, okay, I don't want to cheer for him, actually. I don't want the Confederate Army to win. Like, I don't want to just be like lightly enjoying this film in the context of what it is. And then I was reading an article online that made the case that it's actually an overtly white supremacist film. And by the end of the article, I was fully convinced because... There is this shot at the very beginning that I totally missed that's literally like five seconds long. The only black people who appear in the film is at the very beginning when it's kind of establishing his hometown, this tiny town in Georgia, and there are all these people getting off the train. And the only two black people in the film are presumably two enslaved people carrying this big, huge, heavy trunk off the train. Um, And it look, you know, like they look like they could drop it in any second. And the person writing this blog post made the case that um, Buster Keaton is, like, known for his sort of visual economy and the way that he could very quickly convey ideas um, Mm -hmm. visually. And so I don't think you could argue that the film doesn't knowingly suggest that the hero of the film is the person fighting to uphold a system in which those people are being enslaved. Um... And that, like, there's no, there's kind of no purpose to include that in the film. You could say, oh, it's for historical accuracy. But nonetheless, it sort of fully acknowledges the context of the fact that he chose to make the Confederates the good guys. Because it's actually based on a true story. But in the true story, like, you could have, you could have chosen the Union side or the Confederate side. Um... And he was quoted as saying, and it's they say that they don't know if this is an actual quote, it's awful hard to make heroes out of the Yankees, as in the Union side, as in the people ostensibly fighting to not have people enslaved anymore. And I think it's really important to also consider that like in the mid-1920s when this movie was made, the, the Ku Klux Klan was at the height of its popularity. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like white supremacist ideas were very popular with people in the American South, especially. Um, I mean, America in general, to be honest. So, you know, I think it's really interesting because with something like Gone with the Wind or, you know, The Birth of a Nation, it's always talked about kind of in the context of its white supremacy context. Mm -hmm. And I feel like something like this, it appears on countless AFI 100 films. Roger, Roger Ebert has said this is like one of his very favorite films. And I feel like it's not discussed in that context. And that to me is problematic because especially something that's like light and fluffy like this um, can can really deliver a lot of ideology without kind of being overt about it. Anyway, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all of that to say, it did sort of spoil the enjoyment of it for me because I was just like, oh, this is what this is about, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's tricky. 
that is a, that is a trick. <laughs> yeah. Um, have, have you seen this, Jeremy? I have not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, I and I, I, I am aware of a lot of the because it actually was like a a big slap on the wrist for Buster Keaton, and he lost a lot of creative control after it. And um, you know, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say there was no racism in 1920s Hollywood. <laughs> by like I don't know if we're talking about the jazz singer today, but like mm. I'm not gonna say that at all. Yeah. Um. But uh, I do wonder what the motivations were. Uh, just because there is like a lot of things like Southern Pride, for example, yeah. and I don't know where that line is. Um. But I mean, like it should be it. Like we should talk about it. Yeah. You know, like it should come up and people should understand what's happening. Um. But uh, I read something once about like. They chose to make the union a buffoon, like that, or the 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 other side a buffoon, like that was the joke. Yeah, but um, yeah, but uh, I don't I don't know if I buy it. Anyway, yeah. When yeah. I read, I read that he was then like penalized because it didn't do well commercially. Hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Um, well, I think it's time to hear a word from our sponsors. Uh, so put on your derby hat and your too tight suit coat, and we'll be back on CJTR ninety one. 91.3 FM, CJTR, Regina Community Radio, tuned into the community. And we're back on 91.3 FM, CJTR, Regina Community Radio. We'll be back talking more 1920s films in a moment, but first we'll play a little game lovingly called The Game. It's game time, people! What? Oh! For those who don't know, or if you're just tuning in, The Game is where I spend literally seconds this week looking for a title related to our topic that these two have not seen. I tell them what it's about. They tell me what they think it's about. I tell them what it's really about. And we all have a great time. Sean and Son, are you guys ready to play the game? Yeah. I'm ready. Did uh, you guys like my silent air horn also? Oh, yes. Oh, no, yeah. Yeah, really there we good. go. There we go. She held, up a, she held up a placard. <laughs> <laughs> this week's title is Greed. That title again. Greed. 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 Mm-hmm. Wait, did you say greed or creed? Greed. Like, uh, it's about like, a boxer. Like... <laughs> <laughs> it's about a band. Uh, okay. It could be. <laughs> but... <laughs> um, it's about a Christian rock band. Okay, just kidding. Um, okay, so I believe that it is about um, a man who mm -hmm. he is, you know, as is most of the characters in 20s films, he's a bit down on his luck. He's mm -hmm. got a top mm -hmm. hat with the top blown out. He's got a you know, his suit coat is very shabby, big pants, mm -hmm. um, holy, holy shoes. But he becomes very obsessed with a man that's very doing very well. Uh, he's dressed very nicely and he sees him walking to work every day. And he becomes a little bit obsessed with following it in his footsteps and uh, mimicking him in many ways. Uh, mm -hmm. And eventually tries to just slip into his little spot. He takes his car, he tricks the chauffeur into letting him use his car, you know, things like that. It's a little dark. <laughs> it's single white female, but 20s. <laughs> but 20s. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Sonia. Okay. What do you think greed is about? Greed. Um, okay. So I think greed is a silent film, obviously, told mm -hmm. as like a kind of a, a frame tale where um a very maternal you know homey grandmother is telling her telling two little children about the seven sins and um she's like telling them each as like kind of a, a story with like a main character but for mm -hmm. some reason when she's telling the story of greed the kids are getting really into it so she just gets, like, she just keeps embellishing more and more and more. And basically it's just, like, that story of, you know, a very wealthy man who, like, is just greedy. <laughs> Maybe you would have guessed that. Um, and is, like, trying to amass more and more wealth and get more and more power. And he's never satisfied. Um, and, yeah. And then at the end, it is revealed that the story is actually about their grandfather and that he had a fall from grace, and that's why they're now, like, lowly, regular people. Oh, great. Okay. Wow. Wow, thank you. Um, uh, those both might be better ideas than what this is actually about. Um, you're both wrong in all ways, shapes, mm. and forms. Um, which, <laughs> is, which is, which is okay, and, 
in this instance, because I'm kind of cheating uh, right now. Um, so I'm just going to talk about greed and not really address what greed is about. What? Greed is sort of a bunch of subplots that um, are about people doing various things, trying to get money, kind of like a like a Dallas sort of vibe, I think. It's a good way to explain it. Oh. Um, but the fun thing about greed, which is was made in 1924 by... Uh, Eric von Stronheim. I hope I'm saying that right. I don't know if I do. Yeah, uh, based off of uh, the books McTeague by Frank Norris, which is a novel series, um, is it did a few things for the first time. Um, it was one of the first, is one of the few films, I guess, to be shot entirely on one location. Mm. And by the time they were done, they had 85 hours of footage. And the first cut of this was. Um, where is it? It is 42 reels long, which is just over 10 hours of movie. Wow. Um, anyway, uh, talk about greed. That, yeah. Uh, it, <laughs> and then got, um, sort of went to a, uh, post production hell, I suppose, where the director was fighting with the studio to figure out how to get this into something. And there have been several versions of it released um so they released a four-hour version in 1999 there was a uh six-hour version that was released at one point um and when it like actually came out there was a two-hour version anyway oh. release um, the Stronheim cut that's true <laughs> that's uh, what I demand. The, un the the uncut version has been called the holy holy grail for film archivists so if they can find it this is the this is the one because it has never been fully seen, wow. uh, as far as I understand. Um, you guys, uh, let's uh, do our best to try and find the lost box that contains yeah. all twenty or, or sorry, all forty two reels of the film. And thank you for playing the game. Thank I you. I love to think about a Indiana Jones style film mm. archivist mm -hmm. who uh, is just um, going around this. <laughs> world mm -hmm. stealing canisters mm -hmm. uh escaping narrowly all sorts of things well the the m metropolis many parts of it were lost for a long time yeah. and then in like 2008 i think they ended up finding the closest to full version in like mm -hmm. argentina i think at a film archive yeah. so maybe we should check with them yeah check. maybe Someone argentina you got argentina. it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think if anyone can find it, it will be Nicolas Cage. I'm just yeah. gonna put. Nah, I'm just gonna put that out there. <laughs> um, all right. Well, thank you, Jeremy, for that presentation. Mm -hmm. um, and we will continue on. Um, okay, we've asked this in all other ones. I don't know if this is going to be very easy, but is there any bad films of the 20s that you guys would like to share? I mean the the answer is yes. Uh, yeah, have the I answer seen is definitely them? yes. I, I don't, I don't is know. It anyway? um, uh, yeah, I don't know how many, like, when I look at the list, I don't know if that's all of the films that were released, or if that's all the ones that sort of survive something. Um, but, uh, I don't, well, I watched Nosferatu, um, and it was good, like, it was cool, I had not seen it before, I had seen, you know, the, the famous shots. And a part of me is just like, obviously, this guy's a vampire. Come on, like, what are you? <laughs> Come on. What are you doing here? Like, it's what else? It's almost like our conception Come of vampires is largely based on that depiction. It's in entirely based on, <laughs> I would say. Um, but uh, it's of course based off of Dracula. It hits all the notes that you think it ought to. Um, the I I didn't realize this, but the um, the main character's wife, like the bride, uh, her, her name is Ellen, which I thought was funny. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, that's not anything about the film. That's just a, a similarity between me and it. Um, but oh it, it was this sort. <laughs> it was this sort of like appreciation of something very core to what ho Hollywood films are and what films are. And then another ten minutes of kind of waiting for that next thing yeah. to kind yeah. of come up. Um, and uh, I don't know if well, yeah. I always wonder if they had problem with like narrative time, but then you know Battleship Potemkin, they kind of knew those lessons, right? They knew what montage was, like they understood what they were doing. Mm. So I don't know why 
I don't know why they did it sometimes. You know, if they cut out 20 minutes, this would have been way tighter, but... I only got 10 minutes in and then I fell asleep. (laughs) (laughs) I was saying to you guys before the show that I really struggled this week. I don't know what it is about silent films. Um, If it's just like the lack of auditory stimulation, even though I really like actually the scores largely, like especially Metropolis, I really noticed I was like, okay, this is some some quality scoring. But um, Mm -hmm. yeah, oh, it was hard to focus. Well, yeah, you can't play you can't play a little game on your phone. No, it requires like you being very immersed. Yeah, Mm -hmm. honestly, sometimes it's annoying because you're like, there's nothing happening right now. Yeah, but if I look away, I might miss an intertext. Um, I watched um a a short Disney film this week called The Plowboy from 1929. Oh, what was he up to? Well, definitely getting. I mean, he's definitely <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I kind of set you up for that. You did. I did not mean for that to sound almost. <laughs> anyway, um, it starts plowing. Mickey Mouse. Oh. <laughs> plowing. Mm-hmm. He's just plowing a farm, okay? It starts yeah. Mickey Mouse. Um, it also has this sort of alarming scene of a very skinny cow with a huge udder who she will eventually become clara the cow who is like minnie's like brand um minnie's in it um mickey has a cow named horace or wait maybe he's a horse anyway he will eventually become goofy um but there is like so goofy's a uh, horse well i something nobody really knows what's going on i thought he was a dog he I is a dog now. In this iteration, he's a dog. But at oh. that point, I think he was kind of more of a horse. I don't know. Okay, sorry. Um, that, really, that really threw me. But the animation is like uh, so, like there's so many scenes of just, the whole thing is basically one background. Just going, going, going. Um, sometimes I was unclear whether we were going forward or backward. Like it was so just like, I got really mm-hmm. lost. Um, and there was also a scene where Mickey bounces on a few rocks like head butt head butt um and it happens the same sequence happens like three times in a row and it's very noticeable because the one of the rocks abruptly like disappears and then it happens just three times over and over Mm. and i was just like wow disney did not have their their best and brightest on this one (laughs) the continuity Uh, team was asleep at the wheel they were definitely asleep at the wheel (laughs) Well, I mean, anyway, like, yeah. well, so to dive in, because I was going to talk about uh, Steamboy, Steamboat Willie a little bit, um, but then I was going to use that as a segue, so I'm just going to use yours as a segue, Sean. Um, yeah, um, because this is our last episode, I do have to stretch my little fingers back into the oh, into 1911 and 13 to talk about uh, a few movies by a gentleman named Windsor McKay, who uh, sort of really, like, figured out how to do animation uh quickly i'm gonna say quote unquote quickly um and uh it's there's a really great example uh it's on wikipedia if you'd like to watch it it's called gertie the dinosaur um and it's from 1914 and it's of course a uh a few minute short film about how he says he can make a dinosaur come to life with approximately 30 seconds of animation played back and forth for four minutes. Mm. Uh, and uh, that's how they got banged for their buck back then. They just sort of rocked the... Rock they the, would draw something the animation. and then copy it three times. Like and old then, Spider-Man cartoons. Uh, a bit worse. A bit, a <laughs> no, bit more deliberate, yeah. Um, and uh, in Gertie the Dinosaur, it's kind of fun because he like interacts with Gertie and they do some extra stuff that actually is is pretty cool. Um, but, uh, the early animation was pretty rough and looking at like Steamboat Willie or the Plowboy, which Sean checked <laughs> out, um, <laughs> I have never heard of that at all. Um, it's actually like a lot better and I don't know how to describe how much better it is other than just go check it out. But, uh, even 10 years before Sean, like it was, it was pretty, pretty rough. It was rough out there uh, for an animator. Yeah, but that's what they were doing. They would they would draw something once and then replicate it three or four times, and that's why things just sort of like 
kept happening. Mm. Um, and people thought it was really cool. Yeah. They, they, you know, they ate it up. I mean, it is cool. Like, if you think it about cool. it, yeah. over a hundred years ago, they were already animating things. Like, that's cool. It is cool. I'm not taking oh, yeah. away from the talents of these people, especially, like, um, <laughs> at the Steve very new technology time. But I was <laughs> like, what is going on in here? Yeah. <laughs> this cartoon. I mean, yeah, so many old cartoons from this era are mind-boggling mm-hmm. also. Yeah, true. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Um, anything else you guys watched this week? Or want to speak of? speak of well i watched a movie that maybe was one of maybe was the game in one of our early episodes or jeremy mentioned it in an early episode i don't know why i just have a memory of this but the Mm. cabinet of dr caligari Mm. um Mm. from 1920 so fully 101 years ago wild Mm yeah um yeah and this is this is expressionist right jer German oh, expressionism, yeah. yeah. This, this is like is, the first is, German expressionist. The, film. This is the be, the yeah. This is the, the most hardcore. Yeah, the blueprint, Absolutely. the black and gray print. Um, the, it was it was tinted and toned, sir. Mm. Yeah, thanks so <laughs> Me much. Too. I'll Me have too. you know, <laughs> tinted and toned. Uh, um, it's what is it even about? Basically, uh, oh, it's hard to explain in short a short amount of time. Um. A young man is sitting on a bench talking to an old man. <laughs> I was like, I said right a short amount of time. Yeah. <laughs> and, and is telling him about a recent weird experience he had wherein this uh, wild hypnotist named Dr. Caligari came to town with a somnambulist or mm-hmm. sleepwalker or hypnotized person um, who he then... Uh, Ordered to commit crimes? I feel like I'm doing a really bad job of explaining this. Jer, how would you uh, summarize it? No, like, you got it. I mean, it's it's kind of about, like, being crazy or thinking you're crazy. Mm. And it, the plot sort of centers around the nefarious Dr. Caligari and the the incidents happening around town with his possibly mind-controlled uh, friend. But same at time. the same time, at the same yeah. time, the entire film is so like distorted and mm-hmm. like yes. shadows and bizarre like everything is so twisted that it yeah, gives ab- you such a very unsettled feeling the whole yes. time. Yeah. So even though it's like a you know like oh there's a crime happening you're already like very like what is what's going on in this. Mm-hmm. And they yeah. had their something that they had that I wish that my movies had is the the title sequences or like when they put up like a title card Mm-hmm. Theirs were like very stylized and like mm-hmm. creepy. Yeah, like they look almost like they're cut out of paper. Like yeah, very yeah. stylized. And um, yeah, I that I think that's partly why I find it hard to like describe the plot is also because you're just on this like visual journey the whole time. Like mm-hmm. the design of the town, it like even that almost looks like it's like collage. Like yeah, it's it looks really really cool. Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, everything is is you know uh, askew or uh, you know what we would call nightmare before Christmas mm. uh, in these days, um, which obviously you know like he's drawing from this quite a bit. Yeah, um, I actually got the opportunity a few years ago. There was a a, a festival because it was the hundred year, I think, of the mm. film, and uh, it was rescored. So I got to watch it with the new score. Mm. Um, in a theater, and uh, it it really. Uh, how long is it again? I think is an that... hour and a half, an hour ten. Um, but uh, it really flew by mm. when I watched it with the new score and everything. And uh, I think it's another like example of sort of doing silent right. And I do think expressionism also expressionism also leans more like towards that style of filmmaking because they can't make any sound, so they do it with their hands. Mm. Um and uh, it just seems to work for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I but. remember that year because um the dance company that I take lessons from did an entire like Christmas party devoted to German expressionism, which is an insane mm. idea. Yeah, I um, forgot about that, and everyone was like, was, "What is this?" Everyone's like, <laughs> "What is going on?" But it was yeah. a really fun, visually yeah. appealing party. Um, mm-hmm. but everyone was like, "What do I dress as?" Yeah, <laughs> I remember having that exact dilemma. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I, um, I would love to recreate this film, but call it the cap, the cabin of Dr. Calgary and just like <laughs> make it very, um, very cheap Calgary references the entire time. <laughs> it just, it just takes place during the stampede. Yeah, it oh, is. Oh Lord. <laughs> You're a somnambulist <laughs> on the, in the coyote ugly or whatever. <laughs> um, the last film that I watched this week was called Safety Last, mm-hmm. um, and it's from 1923, um, and it stars a man named Harold Lloyd, who I had never really heard of before, but apparently he is very, very skilled. Yep. Um, and he, he is like, he is like a stunt. He is also like a guy that is doing real crazy stunts that mm-hmm. I was like, how is this possible? Um and he, it's about a man who is very down on his luck. He moves to the big city to try and make his fortune and impress his future wife. Uh, he does not make his fortune, but then she is misled into thinking he has already and comes to visit. So he Aww. does all these shenanigans to try and convince him her that he is uh, rich and not just working at a department store. And then he has a great idea to draw attention to his department store by climbing the building, the 12-story building uh, outside of it. And then if ever, like the store will have a lot of business and then his boss was going to pay him a thousand dollars, which would make mm-hmm. his fortune because it's 1923. <laughs> um, and obviously things go crazy, but he is like doing so many, like him trying to get to work. There's like him trying to get to work on time sequence of just like one foot on a street car, one foot on a real car, like, uh, you know, it's just like real stunts that are like, if this goes wrong, you are... <laughs> like you're injured you're just straight up injured um it's true and he has apparently lost a thumb and a finger in a film accident like four years before this so you know yikes so, sometimes it happens so you're um, saying that safety last wasn't just the title it's also sort of the ethos of the movie it's kind of what he believes in as well mm-hmm. um but it has probably a very famous scene of he climbs the building and then at one point he gets uh he's like holding a clock and the clock yeah uh the face kind of falls out and he's it's very like ah and i don't really know how they did it honestly I pro- i'm sure a lot of just dangerous stunts <laughs> in general but oh, yeah it's yeah. very but also as you guys have mentioned before him climbing the building that mm-hmm. took half the film it was just like yeah, <laughs> yeah. it took a long time um and there's also, I think that this was the one where they, I think they had to get some circus people for some, some of the things and like a few stunt doubles, which he was not happy with. Um, because I think it kind of became like a, like a big thing of pride that I, I think it still is yeah. that people still do their own stunts. You know, oh, like yeah. thinking about Tom Cruise is obsessed with I was just about stunts. to say. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I don't know. Okay, hold on. I need to be self-reflexive right now. Like, I think I might like Tom Cruise more because he does them. Okay. Even Maybe? with Scientology, hey? Oh, yeah, like, no. Like, I'm not just that saying, much more. <laughs> you know, like, like, it doesn't outweigh it? No, no, no. <laughs> A 60-year-old man blown out an ankle for just, like, for not really any reason is like, yeah. all right, mm-hmm. your choice, baby. But did you see the plot, the, the shot of him on the side of the plane? Yeah, that's you, what oh, are you doing? Oh, it's so good though. God, like, oh my, like, it, it looks so cool. Anyway, okay, we're getting off. We're getting, well, off, topic we're getting off topic, but I do, I, I kind of get it, but I also mm-hmm. am like, mm, but there are trained professionals who, you know, could people probably are very do it more safely. Yeah. Although they also, I mean, stunt, shout out to stunt people for really putting 100%. their bods on the line. Yeah, for real. But, and, you know, shout out to just, general safety in all areas <laughs> yeah. of industry I feel like shout out to workplace safety yeah let's uh i feel like i'm a, a very special glow up for a, the stunt person that becomes like a real actor mm-hmm. i shouldn't have said that that sounds very shady to stunt people but like becomes like a non-stunt person actor like mm-hmm. zoe bell is who i'm thinking of yeah it's like uma thurman stunt person and then now yep. she just like gets like roles as like not doing stunt stuff which I think is fun for her. Um, 
There's an there's another guy who is in a lot of the Avengers movies. He was like the bad Hydra agent. Uh, I can't remember his name, but um, he is now getting a lot of movies as well. And he was in one very recently that was pretty good. I can't remember what it's called. Um, uh, something about video games. Boss level, I think. Yeah, boss level. Um, anyway, he too is just a a stunt guy who kind of has started acting. And it's pretty good. But now honestly, we're back like, into this. That's like what John Cena does, basically. Yeah. And, yeah. and The Rock. Yeah. It's like, the, except their stunts were wrestling. And right. they're, yeah. like, they're like, yeah. Yeah, Frank, his name's Frank Grillo. But now we're we're in the, the, the thing again where the expensive person is doing the thing that they shouldn't because if they get hurt, everyone else is screwed. <laughs> yeah. And they'll have to, yeah. like, it's this whole, you know, mm. Jackie Chan-esque circle of can we paint this cast to look like a shoe? Um, oh my god you know it's irresponsible and we shouldn't do it but for some reason we're all just like yeah Yeah. that's what we you hear that jackie (laughs) come on jackie seriously jackie chan but maybe jackie chant no shouldn't (laughs) shouldn't is what i was gonna say (laughs) chant yeah well i I did not expect this to turn into a scathing review of jackie chan (laughs) we love we love jackie chan he seems like such a nice man Next episode of Spoiler Alert, can Jackie Chan? <laughs> <laughs> How much could it? Yeah, never mind. Um, all right. Well, thank you for the riveting discussion, you all. And for the uh, and for this hundred year, um, you know, review of yeah. film. Mm-hmm. It's been very uh, interesting. It has been. Yeah. It's been surprising. There's been some big surprises, some, some big ups, some big downs. But it was fun. Um, and I guess next week we'll be back with just a straight up what you've been watching other than these films because we had to skip them basically every every episode. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to talk about in a decade, you would you wouldn't think. Yep. Um I'd like to thank Saskatoon's the Garys for letting us use their song Manatuna for our theme song. Thanks to everyone at CJTR and all of you for letting us your ears. The show's broadcast Wednesdays at 6, Thursdays at noon, and is avail- as available as a podcast on the CGHR website, Spotify, and Apple Play. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, so give us a follow. And have a good night. Bye. See ya. Bye.